everybody. Uh, Howard Vermersbergen, uh, as Kevin said, work at Christian Schools International, and uh, we have really four main programs that we work with. We have the two retirement programs, one in Canada, one in the U.S., and two health programs, also one in Canada, one in the U.S. So I work with the two different boards of trustees that oversee those programs. So we're going to talk retirement planning today. We're going to talk about it from a dollars and cents perspective. There's a whole lot more about retirement than the dollars and cents, but we're going to focus on the dollar and cents aspect of it today. So this works best if we just sort of make it informal as we go along. If you have a question or a comment, whatever, just shout out, raise your hand, whatever uh, type of thing uh, with that. So want to do a couple things. Um, want to help you kind of figure out uh, how much retirement income you need and then ways to come up with that income. We'll be talking about the CSI pension program also um, because I'm assuming most of you have some benefits in that plan and so we'll sort of explain how that plan works for you and the choices you would have uh, for that. So if we jump beyond the cover page on the handout, did everybody get a handout by the way? I tried to catch all of you, so all right. So step one, determine financial need, and then step two, accumulate the income for those needs. Uh, four main building blocks, Social Security, we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, Employment-related pensions, such as the CSI pension, or we're shifting to the defined contribution world now, the 401Ks, the 403B, that type of thing. Uh, we'll do some talking about um, how those plans work and what sort of savings you sort of need to do to accumulate the right amounts in those. Uh, personal savings and then continued employment. A lot of people say they're retiring, but then they're still working. They're doing this, they're doing that, whatever it might be. Uh, so that becomes a source of income, at least in early years of retirement for many people. So how much money do you need in retirement? A few different ways we'll look at. First is if you look at what retirees spend. And toward the back, there's a yellow page. This comes from some government statistics. And this says what a, a standard retiree household would be $49,000. Now, it's an average because it's a 1.7 person household. I doubt if there's very many 1.7 person households out there. But anyway. That's a, a, a typical retiree household budget. If you look at the bottom of the page, um, housing makes a big difference, whether you're renting, whether you're owned, whether you still have a mortgage. So it can really vary a lot, housing costs in retirement, depending, again, on those circumstances. Uh, jumping back to page three, uh, another way is to compare to your income right before retirement. And a common rule of thumb is to try to have 70 to 80% of income in retirement um, of what you were making just before retirement. Personally, I think that number's too low. Um, I would think it should be more like 90%, um, particularly in a room like this, because educators tend to retire um, at a younger age than average. So obviously the earlier you retire, the longer the retirement you have to fund. So you really would need to start out at a higher level uh, on that. Um, but 70 to 80% is still kind of what you hear mostly. I am starting to see more people say 80 to 90% replacement. 
uh, on that. Uh, and then sort of the better way is to look at your own budget. You put some blue sheets on the back that would sort of help you do that. Now, to do that is only really helpful if you're close to retirement. If you're 35 years old and thinking, okay, I want to start kind of figuring this out, what your budget is today is not necessarily indicative of what it's going to be when you're 65 years old. Um, and that's where more of the replacement ratio concept might be a better thought to have if you're at a younger age. Yeah. Um, a few things to think about, though, when you're trying to decide how much money do I need in retirement. Um, and I don't have notes on this in the handout, but the first item is health care. Health care costs in retirement um, is a big, big deal from a dollars and cents perspective. And health care costs tend to be a higher percent of a retiree budget than a non-retiree. Uh, but the dollars are significant. Uh, Social Security, you have to pay for Medicare Part B. Um, so Medicare is not free. Uh, there is a premium. Currently, that premium is about $1,800 a year for Medicare Part B that you would have to pay for. We have under our health plan in the U.S. a variety of Medicare supplement plans, so to speak. So I took our richest plan that we have because it, it sort of covers a lot. It covers dental, so it's very encompassing. Uh, there's a lot of plans, you can, we have a lot of plans that don't cost as much as this one, but they also don't cover as much as this one, meaning more out of pocket. So I just sort of took the, our, our, our most comprehensive plan because it, it sort of covers a lot of the out of pockets that you would have to pay else. Well, that plan right now is about $4,000 a year. So this is for single coverage. So we have a lot of our retirees right now that are paying just under $6,000 a year for health care. Um, and if there's two people, it's double. It's $12,000 a year. So I don't know those of you closer to retirement, if you're budgeting six to $12,000 a year for health care costs, because um, those are the costs. But they're going to go up with inflation. So I did some modeling. I said, well, what if, what if today's numbers go up 5% a year? What are they going to look like in 20 years? So in 20 years, it'll be 15,000 a year for one or 30,000 for two. So that's if healthcare goes up 5% a year. So if you're budgeting for retirement and you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna budget a 20 year retirement, are you budgeting you might need 15 to 30,000 a year for healthcare? If you're thinking you might be retired for 30 years, it's $25,000 That's taking today's numbers and bumping them up 5% a year. And a lot of you are going to have a 30-year retirement. That's the other thing that we find. If you're typical, you're going to live longer than you think. People underestimate our life expectancies. Um, study was done, um, it was done a while back, but it asked the question, it said, the life expectancy of a 65-year-old is age 85. What are the odds that someone's going to live to age 85? Well, the correct answer is 50%. It's the median point. But 
the, the number one guess was that there was only a 35% chance of getting to age 85. So we don't realize when we hear these numbers, we, we think fewer people are going to get there than is true. The same study asked the question, take a 65-year-old couple, what are the odds that one or both of them will be alive at age 97? So that's 32 years. 25% chance. People guess way lower than that. So you look around this room, and if you all retire at 65, a quarter of you, you or your spouse, is going to be trying to pay that health care bill. And remember, that was $25,000 for one person. Big number. <clears throat> all right. That was a new moon card. <laughs> Let's go to income. That's more fun. All right. Social Security. You youngsters in the room are thinking, let's just skip this, because I'm not going to get anything from Social Security. No, you will get something from Social Security. Um, for, for many people, Social Security is their only income in retirement. As a nation, we can't do away with Social Security. We have to find a way to keep it going, um, because it's a huge safety net for so many people. Now, if you are younger, you're probably going to have to work a little longer than the current numbers are. You might not get as much as the current numbers are, but it's still going to be a meaningful benefit um, that you um, can factor into your planning. Um, we have um, a green sheet at the back that could just sort of give you some ballpark numbers of what Social Security could look like. You could find the year you're born in the left-hand column, run across the top column to find current compensation, something close, run the two lines together, and give you a bit of a ballpark on what monthly Social Security could look like for you. If you haven't done so, would encourage you to go to the Social Security website, set up an account, and look at what your data is. It's actually extremely important to do this on a regular basis because there might be errors in your earnings that have been reported for you. You might have had a year where somehow with your employer a social number wasn't quite right and you didn't get earnings posted to you. Um, and Social Security is built on career earnings. So if a year is missing or something, it could have an impact. Um, so you can go to... Uh, it's socialsecurity.gov, socialsecurity.gov, and then slash my statement, and that's where you can sign up, get into your account, and the statements they have, it's very, very helpful information. Um, they just revamped their statements in the last year. Um, it, it, it's really good, and it's helpful. Um, but the key thing is make sure all your earnings are posted to your account. And you want to check that on a regular basis. Um, and you can get it fixed if it's not uh, with that. One of the big advantages with Social Security is it goes up with inflation. Um, it doesn't tend to keep up with retiree household necessarily, and health care is one of the key reasons of that. 
but it's going to go an awful long ways. Starting January 1, Social Security recipients are getting, I think it's a 5.9% increase. It hasn't been that high in a long time. The reason it's that high is because we're back into the world of inflation. Whether it's a one-year inflation or not is kind of the big debate right now. But anyway, a huge benefit of having an income stream that goes up with inflation um, with that. You can start your Social Security um, as early as 62. It's reduced for early retirement. But even when you stop working, you don't have to start your benefit if you don't want to. You can delay it to age 70. For every year you delay it, it goes up about 8%. Um, I would encourage you to consider delaying your Social Security until age 70, no matter what time you quit working. Um, because you're going to get a bigger number, and that number is going to increase with inflation. So if you're the 25% who's going to be trying to pay health care at age 97, it would have been really helpful if you'd have delayed your Social Security until age 70 with that. So um, I plan on retiring before age 70 but I plan to start my Social Security at age 70. I've set aside some savings that is gonna pay what Social Security would have paid me. I've got a savings account that I'm gonna pay myself my own Social Security until I'm age 70. And then I'll start Social Security and it's gonna be a lot bigger number than if I started it at 65 or 66. And again, the challenge in retirement is, from a financial perspective, your problem is you don't die. And you gotta keep paying the bills. So, I'm budgeting to live to 95. That's kind of what I came up with. I'm putting together a retirement budget that would get me to age 95. Now, Social Security would keep going if I lived beyond that. My CSI pension's gonna keep going. But just in terms of sort of meeting living standard. That's just sort of how I'm putting my budget together. And a key part for that me is delaying my Social Security until age 70. Because um, then I don't sort of have to worry about what inflation is going to look like on that piece for the next 25 years after that. So that's a big thing to consider is when do you start your Social Security? And some people say, well, yeah, but if I don't start it at 65 and I die at 68, then I lose. And I say, it won't bother you a bit. <laughs> and then they usually pause a little and they're like, oh yeah, I guess it won't bother you. It bothers you now to think about it. Oh wait, I lost three years of Social Security benefits. But if it actually happens, it won't bother you a bit. But if you started at 65 and you're 97 years old trying to pay the health care bill, you might think, <coughs> Maybe I should have waited until he said that. So if you're married with the two incomes, do you recommend that delay for both um, spouses? Um, or just a higher earner? Or I, I would suggest that now. You, might, you, you or your spouse just might not be healthy. And you know that 
you're not going to live to 85. I mean, you, some people have medical conditions that they know they're, they're not going to live long. So that makes a difference. But if you're basically healthy, don't have sort of some genetic issues or thing that would shorten lifespan, um, yeah, I think it makes sense for both parties in the household. CSI pension, page five. Um, it's a defined benefit plan. Basically what that means is you start your benefit and it's gonna pay benefits for life, okay? However, unlike Social Security, what your benefit starts at, it stays at that. So there's no inflation kicker to it on that, okay? So we'll talk about what do you do about that a little bit later. Uh, we've, we've, we've done what we call hard freeze the plan, so nobody is accumulating new benefits in the plan. However, if you've been in the plan, to qualify for this annual payment for life, you have to have five years. So if you don't have five years, so let's say you were in the plan two years and we hard froze it, September 1 of 19, hard freeze. You continue to earn vesting if you're at your school. So we're still accumulating vesting for people so that you'll get your five years if you're at a school for that long uh, with that. So something to keep in mind, if you're not vested in the plan, but you have some years in the plan, you can still get vested and qualify for that annual payment for life under the plan. The reason we decided to hard freeze is pension plans put a lot of responsibility on the employer. And under our plan, there's, there's sort of three big responsibilities. The first is having to earn a certain investment return. And our plan was structured with a budget of 7.5%. And schools were not comfortable having to always making sure we earn the 7.5%. The second thing is you're paying benefits for life. And life expectancies keep getting longer. And the third thing you have with a pension plan is there's an entity called Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. It's, it sort of guarantees your pensions. It's a government agency, but they charge premiums. Well, 10 years ago, those premiums were like $300,000 a year. And up until two years ago, they had ramped up to where we were paying over $7 million a year in premium. Now, all the contributions you were putting in in a year was about $20 million a year. So we brought in 20 to pay new benefits, et cetera, and instead of writing a $300,000 check to the PBGC, we were having to write a $7 million check. It was just killing us. Now, the good news is we got legislation changed, and last spring I wrote a check for $250,000 for PBGC premiums. So fortunately, we were able to fix that. But who knows what the government might do tomorrow with that again uh, for that. So anyway, defined benefit plans are a challenge for employers. Our schools are like, we, we like the concept, but we don't want those risks anymore. So now we're shifting to the world of defined contribution. That puts a lot more responsibility on you. So, um, and we'll talk about sort of what you can do about that. Some, to get a little further into some of these pages, we'll talk about some strategies to think about under the world of defined contribution. Uh, with the CSI pension, um, there's different benefit choices. In a little bit, we'll look at those, because that's sort of the big question people have is, well, 
when I get to retirement, you've got all these choices. What shall I choose? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, 403B, 401K. I'm assuming, is, is there anyone currently at a school that's not offering any kind of retirement plan? I think most of our schools have started up defined contribution plans. Um, okay. So that's the new world, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Of course, personal savings is a key component. Um, as I mentioned, I've got, I've got a variety of saving buckets, and one of mine is that bridging Social Security until I started at age 70. Um, and I've got a couple other retirement saving strategies I use. I'll talk about a little bit later with that. Um, so let's try to put some numbers together. Looking at page eight. So we're taking six households here. Uh, first three are single, the next three are married. We're just trying to do a little bit of modeling. Yes? I just have a quick question. So, um, so what if I die before I get to use the money? For the CSI pension? No, 401k. I don't know. Well, 401k, so it's like a savings account, and it would go to your estate or your beneficiary. Whoever you had stated would be the beneficiary of your 401k. Okay, so that means maybe my child could get the money? Yep. Yep. Okay, so what we're looking at is six different households, earnings from... 30,000 to 65,000. Uh, we're using the 70 to 80 percent here. We're using 80 percent on a lower income worker, 70 percent on a higher income because there's there's a lot of fixed costs that everybody has. So if you're a lower income, those make up a higher percent of your budget. So that's why you that's why we have the the 80 percent there and then the 70 percent again. I'm not an advocate of 70 to 80, but it's the common rule of thumb that you read a lot about, so we model it with that. So what we're saying is, so if they want to replace 70 to 80%, we throw in Social Security, what's the gap? And the gap for the first person is 42%. they got to come up with 42% of their final pay somewhere. Um, the people that are married, you can see it's in the upper 20s, 30s. What we assume there is that the spouse had no earnings, and qualified for half of the workers' Social Security benefit. And so if you look at the numbers, you'll just see that the Social Security benefit is 150% of the single one, and then that's why the, the gap is smaller. So page nine, here's some people that are in our pension plan. They have a lot of years. Their CSI pension is going to be 30, mid 30%. Okay, that's of their final pay. That's kind of the replacement ratio coming out of the CSI pension. On the next page are people that have been in some of the higher contribution levels that we have in our plan. And there you can see it's kind of more up in the 40, 50% replacement ratio for uh, what those would be. I uh, encourage you to do retirement calcs of your CSI pension. You can go online and do them, but we have an a better way than online and do them, and it's Brenda. Brenda, right? Put your hand up, Brenda. This is Brenda Addy. She does our U.S. pension day-to-day -day work, and 
1-800-CALL-BRENDA and she'll do it all for you. Um, actually, it's not 1-800-CALL-BRENDA. Uh, a lot of you like to email, so it's brenda.addy at cebteam.org, brenda.addie, brenda.addy at cebteam.org. Yeah, T E A M T. Did that one more time, please? Can you say that one more time? Right, brenda.addy at cebteam.org. And have her run a variety of scenarios age 65, age 68, age 62. Um, happy to run those for you. Um, and you have a lot of choices, we'll talk about those in a minute, but all of those choices will be calculated out on there for you. You'll see the dollar and cents of each one for that. So, you should go look at your Social Security statement. You should get a retirement calc projections from us. I encourage you to do that. So let's talk early retirement a minute. Again, in the world of education, um, you tend to retire earlier than sort of average occupations. Um, and something to think about in your planning. So what we're doing, and it kind of all gets summarized on the bottom of page 13. So we just took one of our people and that, that we had modeled back on page 10 and said, well, what if they'd retire at 62 versus 65? So if they would go at 65, their, their CSI pension and Social Security would have been $39,261. If they started 62, their CSI pension, um, a portion might not be reduced for early retirement, so there's, a, there's assistance in the plan to help people retire early, but a portion would be reduced for early retirement. So instead of getting 24000 they're getting 21000 Social Security is going to be reduced, all of it, for early retirement. So instead of getting 39000 a year for life, they're going to get 32000 So it's going to cost them $3,000 a year in retirement to retire three years early. Another way to look at that is, what if they had a lump sum of money to cover the gap? They need a lump sum of $83,000. And then from that $83,000, they could pay them $3,000 a year for life is the concept there. Um, or if they're young enough, um, 30 years out, if they'd save 3.9% of pay, they'd have accumulated $83,000 by the time you get to retirement um, at age 62. So, Retiring early comes with a price tag um, that, so you really got to give thought to the when of retirement because um, that can make a big difference, particularly around when you would start the pension and when you would start Social Security um, for that. So, so I got, my question is just the CSI pension. If you retire at 65 or 68, it's, you get the same number no matter where you retire at 65 or 68, the CSI part. So CSI pension, at 65, there's no reduction for early retirement. That's kind of your standard retirement age. 
if you keep working at your school till 68, well, you can't start it if you, you, you could start it. If you keep working at your school till 68 and then would start it, it's going to be the same number, as you say. However, let's say you quit working at your school at 65. Every year that you delay your CSI pension, if you're not working at a school that's in the plan, it does go up like Social Security does. Oh, it does. It does. So Brenda could work the magic and show you what that would look like, too. <laughs> so you could say, I'm going to quit working at 65, but run me a call for 68. And it's less than 62, so it does, does maybe not as lucrative as, as, uh, as Social Security goes up, but it does go up a little bit each year. Yes. On page 14, um, looking at early retirement on a defined contribution concept, uh, what, what we're modeling here is someone who's 40 years old making 50000 a year, they're saving 6% a year, and they say they're going to earn 7.5% on their investments. Well, they're saying, well, shall I work till 60, 65, or 7? Okay, well, if they work till 60, they'll have accumulated $176,000, and they could pay themselves a withdrawal starting at 5.8% of their balance. In this, we modeled that they would, whatever they withdrew, they'd increase it 2% a year. Um, but So they'd start out with $10,000 a year. If they go to age 65, they'd have accumulated $294,000. More savings, but more investment return. So there, they could pay themselves $17,000 a year starting out. Or if they'd wait till age 70, they would have accumulated 472,000 and could be paying themselves 30,000 a year. So you can see that 10 year span makes a huge difference in the amount of retirement income that this is using a 40 year old would have whether they work 20 more years or 25 or 30. Makes a huge difference there. So again, how far you are from retirement and the when makes a big difference in your modeling and your considerations. Yes? It seems to me like the, even the bigger issue if you retire early, like if your spouse is three to five years younger than you, what do you do for their insurance? Because the insurance is the big kicker at that point, right? Like yeah. if I can retire at 65, I can get Social Security, but my wife can't. So health care costs for people who retire before age 65 is a real challenge because um, it's very expensive. Um, so I was just talking to someone this morning and they were like, yeah, boy, I'd like to retire but can't afford health care until I get 65. So they sort of feel trapped. They're like, I, I just got to work till 65 until Medicare becomes available. Um, and then if your spouse is not 65, you're still kind of trapped. Well, if your spouse has to get there too before they get Medicare, or, or you're, paying, you're paying a lot of money for health care. Um, yes. Um, health care makes it very challenging to retire, to, to have people in the household under age 65. Um, because you don't have the big employer subsidy anymore. Yeah. Um, Talk about the 7.5% return. How does is inflation 
And according to the U.S. Bureau of Department of Labor, inflation is at 5.4%. Uh, how does that, is that a net benefit or negative? Is that a ne net, net positive or net negative on the pension side? For investments? Yeah. In the short term, it's a negative, tends to be. It's not playing out that way. I mean, the, the, the equity, normally equities would take a hit. They haven't. I mean, they did a little bit in September, but they're coming back. Um, if it happens longer term, you'll start seeing bond returns go up. Right now, that hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. So generally, if inflation, let's say it would stay at 5% for, and people start thinking it's going to stick around, well, you're going to start seeing bonds pay 5% or so. Uh, but they're still only paying like 1, 2, maybe 3%. So I just do middle school math, but so 7.5% return, 5.5% inflation rate, that's, that's a 2% return, right? I mean, you're making well, the top of the iceberg, but you're melting. Yeah, you have to factor in. So, yeah, we'll get to inflation. We'll, 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 we'll dig more into that. Because that's a big deal. Um, let's talk a minute on choice at retirement from CSI pension. Uh, and this is another reason to get the calculations, because if you have a spouse, it'll show all your choices and what you would receive, what your spouse would receive. Uh, but just to help sort of give some perspective on it. Um, you have a, several choices. One, one option is you can get a benefit that's just for your lifetime. When you die, it stops. At the very bottom of that page on 15, you can, you can also buy a 5 or 10 year guarantee. So you could, you could buy a 10 year guarantee if you're age 65. Instead of getting 100%, you're going to get 0.967% of your benefit. So the, the price you paid bought you a 10-year guarantee. So if you bought the 10-year guarantee, you live eight years, you die, you have two more years coming to your beneficiary. After those two years, you've reached 10 years, benefits would stop. If you bought the 10-year guarantee and you live 30 years and die, benefits stop at death because you got more than 10 years. Um, Whatever you choose under the plan, if you're married, your spouse has to agree to. Um, they have to sign as well. Now, it's not uncommon for us to have married people take a single life benefit. And you're thinking, well, how did they get that past their spouse? Well, we, we have 70 plus percent of our population in our plan are female. A lot of them taught for a while, at home with the kids for a while, back teaching for a while. Meanwhile, husband had this career that had gone very well. They get to retirement. The husband looks at it and says, honey, odds are you're going to live longer than me. Um, I've got retirement that I'm just fine if something would happen. I want to make sure you get as much as possible you can for your CSI pension. So I'm signing off that I get nothing and you take the single life benefit. That's not uncommon to happen. So married people do take a single life benefit under that. 
But most married people do take a benefit that continues to the spouse. So just to show how that might work, we modeled here um, what we're going to look at is someone who chose a 75% benefit. So I'm looking at this table there on page 15. Someone who chose a 75% benefit, their spouse was 57. And so you see the 0.8766. Okay? So that's the price they pay. So at the top of the next page, so instead of getting $1,000, they're going to get 0.8766 or $877. Okay, so that's the price they pay to get this 75% survivor benefit. If they would die before their spouse, their spouse will get 75% of the 877. Okay? If the spouse dies first, the retiree keeps getting their 877. We move down the page, and same thing, but we have this pop-up, we say. Well, what's this? Well, you pay a little bit for this pop-up. So instead of getting $877, this person gets $870. So they paid a, they, they paid a little bit more, getting a little bit less, but so what'd they get? Well, if the spouse dies first and they bought the pop-up, their benefit will pop up to the $1,000 benefit. Okay, so that's another little wrinkle choice that you will have. You might want to benefit continue to your spouse, but you could also then buy the pop-up, cost you just a little bit more, and then if your spouse would die before you, your benefit pops up to the single life number. All these formulas are unique to your age and your spouse's age and the age at which you retire. So the only way to get a really good picture is 1-800-CALL-BRENDA. <laughs> um, that, that all makes sense to me. Somebody else asked earlier about like, if you have your 401k, but, but if you have the CSI and I die tomorrow, what does my spouse get? And I haven't. So you haven't started your benefit? There's, no. a, there's a spousal benefit under the plan. You don't know off the top of your head what that is? I mean, like, like it, ballpark. It's ballpark as if you had chosen the 50% survivor benefit, but there's, there's no reductions for the... So basically, they would get 50% of the single life benefit. Which is quite drastic. If you die... A reduction. If, that's quite drastic. If you die one day before you retire, it's like, oh, that's a big... <laughs> that's why you need life insurance. That's a lump sum. That's a good point. <laughs> a lump sum or is it a lump sum? No, it's a, it'd be annual payment for life. But it would start immediately. One other option is uh, there's a two-stage um, on page 17. So for some of you who've been in the plan a long time, part of your benefit, you can start as early as age 62 without a reduction. So if you're one of the ones that wants to retire, start your pension before 65, um, let's say it's 62. There's part of your pension you could start, you could start it all, but there's a part that's not reduced for early retirement you could start. So you could start that, the part that would be reduced, you delay, and you start it at 65. So we call that the two stage. Now, how do you know which benefit to choose? Okay? Well, first, you don't have to decide until you're at retirement age. So it's not something you have to sort of figure out today. 
Um, so you'll be doing it at retirement as to, okay, and, and again, we're under a scenario where you have a spouse. Um, sort of a way to think of it is um, we're going to set the CSI pension aside. Set it off to the side and, and give thought to this. So you got wife, you got husband, and then you got income and expenses. So you would think, okay, let's look at our household income and expenses, and let's say wife dies first. What happens to household income? Is there a life policy that might get paid? Um, was there a pension they were receiving that would stop? Then think, okay, what would happen to household expenses if wife dies first? Would they change? Would they go up because the wife won't let the husband spend all this money on his goofy hobbies? And he's like, now I'm going to spend them on the goofy hobbies? Um, what would happen to household expenses? Then you think, okay, now let's look at it. What happens if husband would die first? What would happen to household income? What would happen to household expenses? Odds are expenses are going to go down because of the health care for no other reason. But let's just say theoretically someone looked at it and said, well, no matter who dies first, nothing changes on the income. And no matter who dies first, nothing changes on expenses. Well, then you'd want to choose the 100% survivor benefit. Because what you're saying, no matter who dies first, the household needs to get the same amount of income. So... Typically, people will think it through, and then they tend to choose maybe the 50 or the 75 percent um, because they typically would see where household expenses would go down. But again, it's something you do at retirement. You don't have to try to figure that out 10 years out type of thing. But that's usually a way just to sort of think it through, and I think then it, it, it usually becomes pretty easy for people to sort of figure it out you know, basically you kind of think it through that way. All right, going to keep moving right along. Yep. What's the reason if you work past age 65 that you can't draw the pension? Pension plans are highly regulated, and regulations do not allow it. It's not a plan choice. It's regulations around plans that... It's one of the quirks. So you could, so if you're at your school working, you can't. You go across the street and work at a school that's not in the plan, and you could. It's, it's just one of the quirks of regulations. Um, account balances under a defined contribution. The responsibility is much more on you now to decide how much to save for retirement. So just want to give you some, some, some food for thought on that um, as to a way that you can do some modeling. So on page 19, we have this table. Okay? Um, formula to follow. Now I'm on page... 18 in the middle of the page. So to use the table, first determine the number of the years you plan to save and your expected investment return. Multiply that value by your current salary and divide by 10,000. Don't try to figure this out in your head, just this is a math equation. 
Um, multiply that amount by your expected savings rate to the percent and divide by 1%. Now, I'll keep going down. Here's an example. So let's say there's a 40-year-old planning till age 65, so 25 years, and they expect to earn 7.5%. So if you go to the table, 25 future years, 7.5%, $9,811. Okay, so there's their number. So now back to the bottom of page 18. So you take the 9,811 times 50,000, divide by the 10,000, times 0.06, their savings rate, divided by 0.01, 294,000. Okay, so this is just kind of a rough model that you could use to just give you some rough numbers on what you might be able to accumulate. So, in that scenario, about $300,000, you could use this table and that math equation and just do some rough modeling of yourself, what you might be looking at. So then it becomes, how much could you make in retirement off of that? When you do the calculations, say you have 6% of salary saved, is that you? You could include the employer in that. Yes, you, you, you would want to use all savings. So what might $100,000 pay you in retirement? On page 21, so we'll just look at the top box, 30 years. So we'll say that you're thinking that you'll earn 7.5% on your investments in retirement. Um, so you want your money to last 30 years. So your withdrawal rate would be 6.45%. Or for $100,000, it's $6,450. Um, and if you think you are going to make less on your money, let's say you decide, I think I'm going to make um, 6%. Well, then you'd be able to withdraw at a 5.5% rate or $5,500. If you look at the last column, so if you look at that $6,450 where you start, in year 30, you'd be pulling out 11454 We're assuming that every year you give yourself a 2% raise. That's what's factored into here. So this is just to give you kind of a rough idea of what $100,000 might be able to pay you in retirement. Um, and this is very rough, simplistic type thing. There's a lot of online calculators that... Are, are very helpful um, and it makes a huge difference what happens with your investments if you retire and a year after you retire your investments go down five percent you're in a bit of trouble if a year after you retire investments go up 15 percent that was nice for you um, it's it's there's a lot more risk on you now as we shift into this defined contribution world with that. Um, there's, there's more uncertainty around it. 
inflation. Inflation has been sort of something that you just sort of with many yawns because we haven't had much. Um, all of a sudden, it's starting to get more attention. Um, inflation is a challenge in retirement. Um, so, what we did some modeling here, and I'm going to look at the one that's on top, page 23. And this is just looking out 20 years. And this is taking that earlier example and just saying, well, what if inflation is 2% a year? For this person, um, they they're going to be their their income will have well their expenses have gone ten thousand dollars a year ahead of their income. Okay, in that that first column, um, because Social Security did go up, but we're factoring the other things not. Um, but their expenses went up 2% a year. So a strategy is if they would have had $33,815 saved at retirement, they could have, as their expenses went up 2% a year, they could pull out of that $33,000 to keep themselves whole. If inflation is 4%, if you move over, um, the third column there at the top, that's if inflation is 4% a year. Um, there you can see their earnings power now is only 68%. They would need $75,000 saved at retirement to give themselves 4% a year to help keep themselves whole. So recall earlier I said your CSI pension does not go up with inflation. It stays the same number. So, I've developed another savings bucket for my CSI pension. And for me personally, I model that I want my pension to last 30 years, and I'm factoring 4% inflation. So I figured out how much money do I need saved at retirement, where I could give my CSI pension a 4% raise every year. So. I'm developing that savings bucket. So I've got a savings bucket to bridge Social Security, so I can wait till 70. I've got another savings bucket that I'm going to be able to give myself, but all works, up to a 4% raise of my CSI pension for 30 years. So as you're thinking retirement, those are a couple savings strategies to be thinking through on that. Because inflation, over 30 years, um, you know, we just looked at 20-year numbers. Um, down below, we do some 30 years with 2 and 4%. Um, it eats every year. If your expenses go up 2%, 4%, 5%, um, that accumulating over time has a huge impact. Okay, summarized. Yep. Quick question on the inflation. How does that affect uh, the legacy costs of the catch up penalties that are currently on schools? I mean, if, if we, it looks as though we may be heading into an inflationary period after a very long time. Um, and I, like, 
Let's say, if it is at 5%, you know, you know, tissue or 75 cents in an hour and it's five years. You know, I mean, it's, it's really, but at the same time, those, what's being paid out becomes, in, like in a decade, would be virtually cut in half. Is there, is that, does that affect the amount of money that schools are required to pay in, or will that be the... Uh, it doesn't really affect more? it. So, so mentioned the pension plan's hard froze and we're not earning new benefits. Um, however, right now the schools still have all the risks. So what they want to do is to pay someone else to take the risk. And there are insurance companies that do that. Um, so right now we're continuing to put money in the plan until we have enough money to pay an insurance company to take the risk. Um, now the challenge is we're investing to earn seven and a half percent. Insurance companies right now are budgeting two and a half percent investment earning. So their price tag is a lot larger because they're only going to invest it to earn two and a half, so they need a bigger lump sum today than if they were going to invest it to earn seven and a half. Um, now, if there's inflation, they're two and a half because it's more of a fixed income is what they do. That may go to three or three and a half, which will lower the price tag that they'll charge to take over the risk. So inflation, sustained inflation, would mean the insurance company price tag would come down, and so it would shorten the window, depending what happens with investment returns. But there's no free lunch. Because if your third leg of your stool is your pension, that leg gets weaker and weaker. Inflation at, at is, if you're a retiree, inflation is your enemy. Correct. Yeah. Which is why I suggest delaying Social Security to 70 because it has an inflation kicker in it. So that helps minimize that inflation risk on that piece. Well, essentially, the closer you get to death, the better off you are. Correct. <laughs> By default, a pension works. I mean, if you put it up, put it up, put it up, you're just that close to death. So your, your enjoyment is. Also, if you want to control the apple sauce and have money in the bank at age 90, I would rather go to Europe at age 63 and rock away So, page 24, summarizing. What age do you plan to retire? Remember, the earlier you retire, the lower your retirement savings are going to be. You have fewer years to save, and you got to protect yourself from inflation for a longer period of time. Challenge, challenge, challenge. What level of income do you need? Will 70% replacement work for you, or do you need to be more at 100% replacement? Every household is different. You've got to kind of figure that out. What, what is going to be your need in retirement? And then, of course, look at your sources. Um, and a lot more of that responsibility is now on you. Um, so you need to give some thought to how much do I need to save to hit that income target that I've identified. It's probably more than you realize. Yes? The 403B, 401K, Roth IRA, what are the, what are the age 
kind of flow out to requirement that that variable depending on the plan? And then what kind of penalty for accessing no um, Was it your question, when can you start pulling the money out? Right. Uh, there's penalties if you do it before age 59 and a half. And then there are required minimums amounts that you have to pay out starting at 71. They're looking to move to 70. I'm trying to remember if it moved to 72 now. Um, but at a certain point, there's required amounts that you have to pull out. And was there a second part to your question? No. Okay. Yes. So he, he mentioned one thing, and, and for the younger people, if you don't know about, I mean, I'm a big believer in the Roth, you know, your per, like the personal savings thing. I mean, the Roth IRA to me is like a, you know, the best thing to do in, in, in your younger years to get that money in there because it grows tax-free. And there is no required minimum distributions from that, I believe, um, um, from a Roth, a personal Roth. Yeah, so there are different kinds of IRAs. There's a traditional, whereas if you put money in a traditional you don't have to pay taxes on that money. And then when you pull it out, you have to pay taxes. And that's where the required pullout is, because the government's saying, hey, we let you put that away tax-free, but we want you to pay taxes before you die, so we're going to make you pull some out. And you got to pay taxes on the, the... Everything. 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 The earnings have to be taxed, too. There's a concept called a Roth IRA. There you have to pay taxes on your money first, and then put it in. But... You never have to pay taxes on anything from that again. So the investment earnings are tax-free. Um, I personally like a Roth concept myself, and I'm, I'm older, but I'm using the Roth concept because I'm like, I can afford ta I know I can afford taxes today. So I know that I can save the amount of money I want and afford the taxes it takes me to do it after tax. I don't know what taxes are going to be 25 years from now if I'm still living. And so I'd rather not have to worry about what the tax rate will be then on my IRA piece. So I'm eliminating that uncertainty because I can, I can afford today to save what I want after tax. The limit is six thousand dollars per person, seven thousand if you're over fifty-five, something like that. But it's yeah, like, I, yeah I've got I numbers back in. Recommend looking into it. If you don't do it, look into a Roth IRA. It's like it's. All right, our time is up. Thank you. Um,